Welcome to the West Side Barbell Podcast. Today's podcast, I got Jeremy Loper with me. For those of you who don't know Loper, he's been here for, I say, what, eight years? You've been coming yeah, out of the yeah, gym? Yeah. Um, we're very good friends. We've trained together. Uh, we started the West Side, or the We Things Break podcast. Um, the way events have lied, we've going to merge the We Things Break into the West Side Barbell podcast. And we feel that this is a great way for people to interact with West Side, get your questions in on certain topics. And having Loper here is going to help us deep dive into a more. So I'd like to thank you for coming in, Loper. Yeah, man, I, I couldn't be more stoked to be here. And, you know, the future, I think, is bright. It is. And it's a, it's a different, different time for sure. And having all the media outlets and to be able to get people's uh, questions in, I know that there's some topics that people don't understand clearly, especially the conjugate method in sports. And having you here been able to really deep dive into the questions and pull out the answers to where I think is easy, for, but for some, maybe not. Um, and with that said, if you want to, we can start up bashing into the questions. Yeah. So people are hitting us up uh, all over social media. And uh, if you don't know where to find us, you can check it out in the uh, description and find us on whatever social media that you uh, prefer to use. So uh, this one comes from Zero Zero Trucker Zero. And uh, he asks, how does a proper warm up for all four days look like? Exercises, sets, reps? Thanks, guys. <sighs> It's hard to give an accurate answer. And that's the most frustrating thing for people. Everyone is different when it comes to warm-ups. Anyone who knows Louis did not believe in a long warm-up. You would warm up with whatever the exercise was. Uh, a lot of people uh, believe in that. I believe in that pretty strongly. But I do know for some athletes, they need to warm themselves up to prepare for the workout. Yeah. Um, that's why we got some universals. You got sleds, you got hypers, you got abs that people do. But there's no specific length time sets reps that's going to be accurate for that person so i would say find what works and don't read too much into it if you need to warm up for 30 minutes to get you into it that's just a waste of time i would yeah. say keep it short and sweet and to the point when i first started training at west side I, I thought that the sleds absolutely were the devil i yeah. mean like i've been through so many workouts in my life and and when i was pulling the sleds like i had never felt the way that I felt afterwards. I was almost like that wasn't the workout. It's almost like the the warm ups for jujitsu. Yeah. You know, you do the warm ups and you're like, oh, now we're actually going to do class. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's kind of the same thing for me with the sleds. I really always felt like the sleds got everything loose and warm and, and you were just ready to go after that. And there, it's easy to scale. Yeah. Right. You just, there's no, uh, no compression, there's nothing. You're just dragging a weight around, but it's warming up the whole body. Some people do warm ups to mentally prepare themselves more than physically prepare themselves. Um, so whatever it is you need to get out of it, just do it, just keep it short. And sleds are the best universal for upper and lower body too. Um, yeah, I'm with you. We had a lot of people who said, oh, that's, that's not the workout. Um, but we, for uh, warm ups, we're between anywhere five to 10 minutes and that's it, we're into the task. Okay, so the next uh, the next one comes from Instagram. This is a B and B nineteen eighties question. Could using sixty five, seventy, and seventy five percent without bands and or chains would that be a good idea for dynamic effort as a main lift? You can if you don't have access to bands or chains. You can do straight weight percentages as long as you're moving the bar fast enough. Uh, and if you need a frame of reference, you can get a Tendo unit. Yeah. We try aim for 0.7 to 0.8. But again, they're reference points. You can. We would rather use bands because bands do stuff to your body that forces you down faster and you come up faster. 
and they're not forgiving. The explosion. So, yeah, yeah, you have to be fast going through the full range of motion. Um, again, it's preference and availability of exercises. Our equipment bands are pretty easy to get nowadays, so I would stick with bands if you can. But it's not wrong to do them straight weight, but you will get way more out of it if you use bands. And just for depth, why does the speed of the bar matter? Uh, so strength is measured in speed and time and weight. There's different ways to do it. But what speed you're moving at determines what type of strength you're training. There's speed strength, strength speed, explosive uh, strength, and they're all measured in velocities, right? So if you're moving it too slow, then you're training the wrong speed for speed day. So you're trying to train speed strength, that makes sense. So the um, tender unit gives you a reference point of speed strength is trained between 0.7 and 0.8 meters per second. So it gives you that reference. Now where it gets kind of confusing is the two of us are made up differently in that you might be way faster than I am. So I get on a tender unit and I'm dreadfully slow. And after a few weeks of training, I increase a little bit, but still not faster than you. And if we compare ourselves together, I'm screwed because I think, oh, I'm not going as fast as Loper. Yeah. And this is where people get confused. Like, well, I got to reduce the weight to where you got nearly nothing on the bar to achieve that same bar velocity. Well, that's not going to carry over with athleticism. If I'm a slow person and I get a little bit faster, that's a huge deal to me. And it usually makes me more athletic uh, compared to someone who is just comparing numbers and like, oh, okay, I'm not getting anything from it because I haven't got enough stimulus on the bar or in the exercise to get anything from it. So everything we give our guidelines, nothing's ever set in stone. And we have that where band percentages, we're like, well, uh, can I do 27.5, can I do 30? It's rule of thumb, is to give you an idea. Like, there's no one here with a magnifying glass going, hey, it's got to yeah. be here. Um, the one thing that we're critical on is volume. Volume is huge all over. Uh, but, but back to your question of the velocity is there, so you're training the correct strength. So it, it doesn't really matter. Like you have to train specifically for your style. Yeah, and yeah. that's the most frustrating thing because if you've got an answer that goes, it depends. You're like, of course, it's a simple way out, <laughs> but it does. There's, a, there's general things we can talk about, but what makes us so good at what we do is we bring in the person, we assess them individually. So we're asking all the right questions to train Loper so we're getting all the right answers. Yeah. Right. Um, if we have general questions, well, then we're going to train you generally and you'll be a general athlete. We want you to be the best. So that's when it becomes specific. Okay. Uh, next question comes from Hamzer Dupree. How do programs jump? How do program jumps and how to program conditioning and extra workouts? How, how, how does that generally work for you? So we jump at least twice a week, and it's usually on lower body day. Okay. So we have a max effort lower, and we've got a dynamic effort lower. Uh, we try to do it after the main movement. Yeah. Um, so that way there's a, a certain level of fatigue, but you're not too fatigued to get through it. Um, we usually do four sets of 10, depending on what level of athlete you are. If you're a beginner, you'll wind that down maybe to two sets of 10 or four sets of five to do about 20 jumps. Um, we always jump up onto a box. We very rarely do depth jumps because with depth jumps, there's a level of risk when you do them and you need to have a high level of strength to be able to get anything from them. Um, and then conditioning. Are they dangerous because of uh, like fatigue? No. So when you, if you do a depth jump, you're jumping off a height to the ground. So gravity is not really your friend depending sure. on your weight. So <laughs> when you hit the ground, that's a lot of impact into the ground. But when you jump 
from the ground onto a box, you're exerting a lot of uh, force uh, to raise your weight up onto it. When you land on the box, you land softly. So there's very little impact, so there's a lot of carryover. So because you're breaking gravity, so you have to have that inertia to, to push through and to lift off and to land. So you're landing softly, but you're developing a lot more um, types of uh, strength when you're jumping. So um, depending on how fast and how high uh, you jump, you can set it up to where you can match the type of strength you're trying to get out of it. Um, but jumping in general is a great way. Jumping and deadlifts, there are two ways that we monitor athletes' progression. Um, if we know how high you can jump and how strong you are in your sumo deadlift, it gives us a good overall idea of your athleticism, okay. of it's going in the right direction. And the conditioning aspect to that is we try to keep training dense. As you know, that our rest periods are pretty short mm -hmm. and we try to maximize that one hour. So the conditioning aspect could literally be going from exercise to exercise to exercise, supersets, triple sets, um, or time, depending on the sport. But we try to regulate it within one hour. We try to get the most amount of stuff done in that hour period possible. When people say box jumps, there's one athlete at Westside that I think of, and that's the newly signed AJ Dobson to the UFC. I mean, there's been some video, I'm pretty sure, on our Instagram page at Westside yeah, Barbell. A AJ jumped on a 62 and a half. We've had uh, Joe Pierce, I think it was his last name, jumped on a 63 and a half. And then there's two athletes that I can't <laughs> use because I'm not allowed to say their names, but we've had one on a 67 and one on a 68 that uh, I couldn't claim. We couldn't claim the, the record from lose guys on that, but we've had some phenomenal jumpers here. And so, some of these guys are just naturally just gifted at it. Oh, absolutely. It, it's incredible to watch, too. Yeah. It really is. All right, so the next question comes from CrossFit Fate. Who did Louis hand Westside down to, a.k.a. who's in charge moving forward? That's the question of the hour, really. <laughs> it depends on what way you look at Westside. Uh, the way I see it is you got Westside Barbell HQ, the business, and then you've got Westside Barbell, the gym. Um, so I've been very fortunate to be around Lou for the past 12 years that the 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 honor has been bestowed onto me to make sure the legacy continues on um with uh we got harold running the the business the hq side of things and then i'm just overviewing that the, the gym the legacy louis name and what all the members have done here for the gym never is forgotten and we're trying to educate the coaches um i can't really say that there's one person because Westside is a multitude of uh people who've created uh, the education that we have now based on their uh, input into training. But I would say the if anything goes wrong, it falls on my head more so than anyone else's. So it's a, it's a huge responsibility and a huge honor. And my goal is to make uh, every previous member proud of the gym that they um, trained at and gave to, and to make sure every coach and every visitor gets as much education possible. Yeah, and the cool thing I, I think that Louis was always such a genius about is he surrounded himself with the right people yeah. in every different aspect of training. And anything that he needed, uh, something that he felt they were a master in, they were here. And I think that's really where you came in. And, and, and not only did you come with a wealth of knowledge from Ireland, but you came in also as a sponge. And yeah. you were able to soak up everything that Louis would lay down to you, really. I mean, it, for me, this is just me speaking. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, it's, it was totally impressive to see you over the last eight years come to America and find your place here and 
train and then be at such a high level where you're able to take over the reins of the team. And I mean, it, it's it's a, a huge credit to you, but also I think it's a credit to him as a master or as as a sensei, as a teacher. Yeah, Louis had a very different way of um, teaching. Uh, initially, it was up to you to find your own way, which was like, <laughs> okay. And then my first three months here, I thought I got this down. And then time, time is the biggest teacher and he knew that. He would allow me to voice my opinion, right or wrong. He would allow me to take risks. He would give me every excuse to walk out the door. <laughs> um, you name it. But he would pressure test every aspect of you. Um, loyalty was the big one. And I wasn't just loyal to Lou. I was loyal to Westside Barbell, the club, which is a big thing is that I'm, uh, I understand fully that Westside is a culmination of every training group that's came here. And I think Louis respected that. That's I, I viewed it holistically, not just it was Louis. It was every member. And to me, the older generations are so important because they're the guinea pigs. They're the guys that set the foundation to what we have on. And I have huge respect, and I love talking to these people because you get their stories and insights. Um, the business, everyone, Louis cared about the gym. The business was like, hey, if you can figure something out, I'm like. Uh, okay, and YouTube, books, you name it, we did it and we, we grew it to where it's at and Harold and his team do a hell of a job now making sure that uh, uh, I keep in check and they keep the business going in the right direction. But that was just Lou. Louis, uh, he would he would figure out if you can stand the test of time. And you got to think, I was around Lou, especially the first eight or nine years here, every day. It wasn't just in the gym. It was just outside the gym, we'd talk, we'd break down um, sports, we'd talk about business. He would give me some absolutely insane life advice. Some of it was great, some of it was, there's no <laughs> way in hell I can do that. But that was just, but he wanted to see who you are as a person. Sure. And uh, I remember my seventh year here was when like, oh, stuff started going. I'm like, I have an idea of what he's doing. And really the last year we were, like we hit it off to where like, okay, I. I understand how much of an idiot it was as a kid. And I see people have come in through here, stayed here for a few years and gone and think they know it. I'm like, no. There's so many layers to Louis and his style of teaching and philosophies that the longer you're around him, the more you start of uh, respect it. And um, like loyalty and giving credit back to the club and not taking yourself too serious that you can't make mistakes. You can't right. try these things. and. God knows he let me make a, enough of him along the way to where we are here today. And like uh, my biggest one was uh, printing books for him. I printed uh, 3,000 books with no table of contents and no book numbers. <laughs> and uh, to say, I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm, I'm booking my ticket. I'm gone. Uh, I won't say what, what's his response to that. Oh, it was it was interesting. He's like, I can't fucking sell these. He's got no t where the, where's the numbers? Uh, and I'm like, that's a good point. Where are the numbers? I offered to handwrite the numbers on. He looked at me like, why would you handwrite them? And um, we, ended up, uh, <laughs> we, uh, we, we, we donated those books. Uh, uh, but he allowed me to learn from that lesson. Right, and right. I, I can assure you, we've had a table of contents and book uh, page numbers since. But he wasn't afraid to take risks. And he wasn't afraid to take risks to see uh, if you could do it. And he's had people have came in here, have taken advantage and we've, we all know the people who are trying to take advantage of his name since his passing, but those are people who had a short time in here. 
and um, the core group of people who grew up, and this is something we can get into later, but Westside used to be based on strength of character mm. and they built up that family, that relationship, and then they just got ungodly strong. And I think you got to a point in time where you were so strong as a group to get into the group, you needed to be strong, but you got strong somewhere else. So you didn't necessarily have the same code of ethics and the same uh, mentality. I think that clashed. You had a clash of the generations coming in and I can understand where the, the tensions could get high and people didn't like each other or whatever happened. But to me, that core group of Westsiders, the people who started it uh, from the, the late 70s, 80s, 90s, like that's what set the mindset of what Westside is. And then everyone else really just benefited of Hoff is the only really exception because he came here at such a young age and he was sheltered certain in the night crew. He had Bob Coe, he got Gritty, all these people. And look, he's like pound for pound, like the best power lifter yeah. in the world. But um, coming back full circle is it's a, it's a huge responsibility and honor. And it's um, basically we act as a caretaker now to make sure the gym, everything goes forward and education is the number one goal is to pass on everything. Most people know it's here on the west side of Columbus, Ohio, mm -hmm. uh, the gym. Originally, where was West Side Barbell? Oh, geez. Um, so West Side was taken from, West Side Barbell was originally in Culver City, California. Uh, you had George Friend, Bill Peanuts West. Um, they, uh, they created that club. And out of respect to the club when it died off, Louis took the name and uh, made West Side Barbell here. From what I gather is when Louis first had a gym, it was known as Louis on the Hill because you don't open the hilltops. <laughs> and uh, so they came to the so West Side So people would Barbell. say, I'm going to go train yeah. with Louie up on the hill. Um, Proutna, I think I got the address correctly, but 590 Larkham okay. was the house where a lot of it started. Um, so just straight up at Lou's house? In the basement. In the basement. And we have stories coming up with uh, Jimmy Seitzer and uh, Bill Whitaker and Gary Sanger um, that talk about they started in the basement. Um, th there's uh, different stories, but... Uh, I believe a barbell went through the ceiling and into the kitchen and that was enough. And they're doing plyometric jumps up and down the staircase. And Doris was like, you guys got to go to the Up and down the staircase yes. is my favorite. Dude, that's yeah. so crazy. And so then it was in the, the garage of 590 Larkham. And that's really where all these interesting people met and came. Yeah. And then I believe it went from Larkham to Briggs and from Briggs Road to Demarest. And then from Demarest to where we're at now, I fell if you drive. But it's always been in the west side of I Columbus. I think we might need a 590 Larkham t-shirt, man. I mean, the amount of people that came out of 590 Larkham, the biggest characters, the stories from each one of these people who trained at that time, man, they all still talk to like, their family. There's no, it's amazing, like that group atmosphere. There is something special about that, right? Like yeah. more than just training, you're actually interconnected with the people. It's up to really Valley View, the Demarest crew, the Briggs crew, the 590 Lark. All those guys are so tightly knit. And I think it goes back down to the strength of character. Once you came in and bust your ass and yeah. trained, that was a huge thing. When you start introducing people who got strong elsewhere, mm. I think that's when you kind of lost the, the, the culture aspect of like, you weren't brought up in fire. Gotcha, yeah. But you're just strong. So now you're coming in, matching strength for strength. And uh, I'm not sure of the friendships that were developed in the last maybe 15 years, 12, like if they're as strong as those guys. But um, yeah, that 590 Larkham was the 
really the genesis of what Westside Barbell is. Yeah, and also I, I think it was here where they uh, where Louis really introduced the conjugate method to other athletes, right outside of powerlifting. Yeah, uh, and I I think it's uh, I've talked about this with someone I, I hugely respect, and I don't want to name drop his name because um, I want him to present it, but. When you had the two different generations, the strength of character and the strength of just people who are physically strong come sure. together, um, I think something got lost, but that opened up Louis's mind and like, okay, I can have strong people here because the gym has got to this level of strength. So you're going to come in, we're going to get strong people. But like, I, I want to challenge now because de we developed this group. We developed the, these morals, this code of ethics that here's how a gym runs. I wonder, can I do this with football players? And I think by natural by having strength athletes, like powerlifting and football is pretty similar to how you train, they came. And then when football players came, track and field. I mean, track and field, so it just naturally evolved that he built this solid foundation of training principles and gym ethics. And you have a PhD in the weight room, mm. like of how to low place, how to spot, right, right. what your job is. That's one thing people take for granted. When you walk into the weight room here, anyone who's a member been around Westside, everyone has a job. They know how to run a weight room really well. So introducing that into track and field, into uh, MMA. MMA is such a lot, and boxing, such a logical sport to come in. Was it Mark Coleman and Kevin Randleman, uh, the uh, first fighters uh, that came Coleman, in? Coleman uh, never came in. Okay. Uh, Coleman and Mark, or Coleman and Louis talked. Randleman was one of the first. There's a few other people that came in and out too that I, uh, I can't remember their names. It's funny, now that you say that about Coleman, I totally remember that story. Because yeah. Coleman said it was like a nightmare. His phone would ring and it would be Louis yeah. telling him to get his ass over to train. He's like, I don't want to go through it, brother. Yeah. yeah after he saw what Randleman went through, and Louis kind of looked at Randleman as like one of the most freak athletes that ever came through yeah. here, right? Um, one of Louis's, and Louis didn't really have regrets looking back. Mm -hmm but he would have loved to have tested Randleman's box jump. He said he, oh would, God, he would have yes. crushed all the records he had. Um, but I don't think there's been a sport that hasn't come through here. But that opening allowed Louis to experiment more and really get into it. And every injury Louis got or every injury these athletes got, the better the system is. None of us would be here today if it wasn't for the negative aspects. Like, Injuries occurring, um, like Louis breaking his back twice, um, the reverse hyper coming out. All these events have led to what we have today. Uh, and that's an important part for people to understand is that we are benefiting from yeah. those who have put themselves through the grinder and, well, how do I come back from this? Because before that, if you'd have broken back, you're like, well, what am I going to do? You're like, you're screwed. And like, Louis's like, well, fuck you, I'm going to figure this out. And he came back and not a in a pretty unorthodox way but um yeah i'm going on a bit but like the our goal here as a website is to keep everything uh moving forward in a new direction the podcast the way we're going now having you on board allows people to get in their questions interact more so with us now and hopefully we can um illuminate the the answer they need but before louis passed he laid out exactly how he wanted things to go uh, yeah if you uh if you what, fail to plan, you plan to fail. And um, Louis had everything laid out. Uh, there's a few things he, he left in to, uh, to test where we're gonna go, but vast majority, and we have that, uh, that plan uh, as an article out, he had everything. Uh, everything that was important to him laid out and uh, anything he, he left, any bit of um, uh, 
he left open for us was a was I think a little a little present from him to go hey here's a new challenge for you exactly even even in death there's a challenge oh yeah look the, the, this man um, yeah he left uh, he left some things and I won't go into it but uh, I I got a a pretty good laugh out of it when I started thinking about oh you bastard you uh, you did everything you did this on purpose like and, and that's just Lou he always he was a ultimate jokester to the end. He was never a guy to walk around and like really relish in his own success. But the last couple of years, I mean, you can't really go to like a UFC event or to like the Arnold here in Columbus or any other big powerlifting event or anything like that sporting, uh, sporting wise without seeing a West Side Barbell t-shirt. What do you think, just your opinion, what do you think that meant to Lou? Oh, it meant the world. Um, one is that you're bringing his dog Nitro into the gym. That's where the, the the shirt came from. His dog passing in the gym, and uh, Nitro is the like. There's so many stories from those members of that dog. Um, <laughs> that was the big thing. Is like, oh, you're bringing Nitro in training with you, and bring wherever you go with that shirt, you're bringing his dog. That was huge to him. Um, seeing the reach that he has, the amount of people he's helped, um, I I think he would even be astonished. Like we have thousands of messages, mail. Things come in here thanking him for how Lou helped. Um, I don't think he, he ever realized how big he was and how much people he helped. There's some information he just gave in passing that he can't remember that completely changed people's lives. Like you have people who were, who were going nowhere became Olympic athletes off like a two-minute conversation. Which is crazy. It's, there's, and there's a lot of these stories. Um, but it, it, meant, it meant a lot. It meant a lot uh, that his books got out there, his information got out there. Everything was a podcast. Everything. Hey, hey Tom, are we going to do a podcast? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? Uh, so if there's a camera and a microphone, it was a podcast. That's fine. But tell people, yeah. like, in the beginning, it wasn't like that. He didn't want oh, anything to do with this. Uh, th about three years <laughs> to go, like, we're not fucking doing that. Was it the first? Because me and Matt Brown did that one podcast with him uh, when Matt and I were doing that a was, podcast. So we, so we just started. Okay. And he got into it, and then we had... Uh, he, he didn't know he didn't he knew joe rogan from ufc had no idea how big his podcast was He's like i'm not going there so joe came here when we had uh the back room and um yeah lou just didn't he had his own universe and he invited you into it because everything was about making people better athletes yeah. better and everything else was a distraction so he just eliminated all distractions in his life he liked cars he did like cars. And yeah. that, like cars, it was Doris, his dog, cars, the gym. That's it. That was, that was, but the, the gym was the number one. Uh, how can we make people better? How can we train? Um, we went to a CrossFit event. I was in Columbus and it was just so funny seeing Lou going, what the, all the people. <laughs> and he would go and All shake, the people that were like, like excited to yeah, see him. Well, yeah, and he goes, yeah. hi, I'm Louis Simmons. And everyone's like, yeah, we know you're Louis Simmons. But everyone, he always introduced himself, never assumed that people knew who he was. Yeah, I love um, that. Yeah. We met Travis uh, Bage, Bajant, like an arm wrestler there. He introduced himself. Like everyone knows who Louis is, but Louis has got no, he's like, gee, look at all these people. And then the hilarious thing was like, there's no fucking good food here like there's a bunch of food stuff that was so healthy he was like well, what, what are you supposed to eat and he's like what is this and uh, rich froining was uh, competing that day and that he blew his mind seeing how um in good shape rich was and that kind of opened up lou to like understanding that crossfit is a sport of gpp mm -hmm. and it kind of hit him there at that mm -hmm. event he's like oh my god this is a 
the sport of GPP. This is why he can carry over to a bunch of things. But yeah, he never took himself too seriously at all. And he loved shit talking too. That was his, his second hobby was just talking pure and utter shit to get you so aggravated that like this man is so annoying and it would just bring him so much joy. Yeah, going into my world, like the the world of like rock and roll and and heavy metal and stuff. Uh, you and I went to see my buddy uh, Jamie Josta from mm -hmm. Hatebreed in concert, and Zach Wild's Black Label Society was also playing on that show. And we went backstage and went on <laughs> Zach's bus, and that led to later Zach coming to Westside. And just how excited he was to meet Lou, like, blew my mind. I mean, we're talking about the guy who played guitar for Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. And, you know, that just kind of goes to show you, like, the universal effect that he had on people just all around the world. That, and um, I will say uh, when uh, Struggle, yeah. Jennings and uh, yeah. Jelly Roll, having those guys talk about and wear Westside, that meant so much. Lou couldn't believe it. And, like... To, to have Louis drive in, listening to their music, you're like, what is going on? Because <laughs> it's, awesome. it's Louis and he. Yeah. Would, and um, so that meant a lot. To, and there's a, a lot more of these stories that are coming out of the work. There's a, a lot of stuff that I didn't know that just blows my mind of the, the depths of people that came here. Because Louis didn't know who half these people were. Right. And he treated everyone the same. Totally. So like, you could be a famous mm -hmm. actor, a famous sports star, or you could be from down the street. It's everyone is the same. So we're like, they were here? And like, yeah. Because again, everything is about making people better. So if it, what gets stored in his brain is a story or something that contributes to making people better. So if you're famous, it doesn't matter. But if you've done something in the gym to help someone, or something, he remembers that. He had a strange hierarchy of how he stored knowledge. But uh, we have people reaching out still like, oh, yeah, we can't. I'm like, you were at Westside? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, and I talked to Doris. Like, oh, yeah, I think they came. And like, Lou was just, no. Just of no interest onto the next one. He never looked back, always forward. That's awesome. All right, we have uh, another question here. This one comes from Tommy Schroeder. Uh, do you recommend everyone to train twice a day? No. Uh, again, back to that. It's all depends. If you have the time, you can. Um, MMA, take that for instance. You don't have that luxury because you train with us in the morning. You've got so many other disciplines to do that if you do another workout late at night, you're just going to end up to not being able to recover. But if you have a sport that allows you to break up the morning into two uh, trainings, yes, you can. But normally we get enough done in the morning to do it. And if they do stuff at night, it's literally just trying to work on some lagging group. Um, but off the bat, until I know the person, I would say, no, get enough done in the morning. Um, that should be it. If you can, it's a luxury. Get another one in. But on average, no. All right, uh, here we go with uh, the real George Buzza. How to build a beginner conjugate template, he would like to know. How, how do you do that? And I'm just reading these as they're written, yeah. by the way, just so everybody knows. Um, <laughs> I would get on our website. Uh, we got blogs and articles that go through how to start. There is no beginner way. You just start into it. Um, the Conjugate Club is such a wealth of information. Yes, the, on there. Yeah, I mean, the membership site is a yeah. good way to go too. But if you want to get into it without spending any money, go through all our articles and blogs and social media. There's enough stuff there to get you started. The system works for beginners and expert levels. It's all scalable, it's all based on how strong you are. It's not based on how strong you think you are, 
which we get a lot of people, well, I have a perceived max effort of 500 pounds. Well, until you deadlift 500 pounds, you don't deadlift 500 pounds. So this whole system works on objective data. So no matter what your strength level is, and Louis talked about that, if you squat 400, you can be in the same workout as someone who squats 1,000 because it's all based off your strength. It's all based off those percentages. Um, but I would start with our blogs, start with our articles. It's a great place to go. All right, from uh, Puppa's Daddy. Maybe it's Pup US Daddies. I'm not sure. Uh, what's the best advice for beginners who want to build strength? Start. Just start and be consistent. Yeah, because there's a lot of people out there that kind of talk about yeah. it for a long time before they actually get into the Just gym. Just get in there and consistency rules everything. You can have, you don't have to believe in how we train, how someone else trains. If you go in there and you start and stop, that's your problem. Yeah. Be consistent and just start. Uh, you don't know where to start. Pick anywhere and start there and keep it simple. But that's the best because anything else make this complex. Yeah. Start, be consistent and start anywhere. Make yourself accountable. You know, I, I think one of the best stories I heard came from uh, the guy who played Al Bundy <laughs> on Married with Children, yeah. Ed O'Neill, yeah. who is a jujitsu black belt. And he said, like, he, the classes were so rigorous for him after acting all day. And you know, I think he was doing Modern Family at the time. Yeah. He said that, you know, every time he would go, he'd feel like, oh, man, I'm not in shape to do this. But he would go and park in a place where everyone in the gym, as soon as he pulled up, could see him immediately. So right there, he knew if he left, fucking everybody in the gym already saw his car, his face out there. And if yeah. he left, he's a coward. And he kind of held that over himself as a motivator to get there every day and to make himself get out of the car and get into the gym and do his thing. It's the, the consistency is the one thing um, that separates everyone else. The professional athletes, they're professionals because they're consistent. And then there's different levels of right athletes. The ones who train all the time, do all that, like they rise and rise and rise. And you got people who never get any better. But being consistent, if that could be the training method, it'd be the best training method there is. Just <laughs> yeah, be yeah, consistent totally. yeah. and start. As you said, so many people talk and talk and make great, go do it, and then go from there. Absolutely. All right, so Fitness Fusion 24-7, uh, he hit us up on Instagram and said, wheelbarrow training, mm -hmm. benefits, variations? Wheelbarrows have been a big part of our GPP for sure. There's a lot of variations. Um, you can do them for shrugs, for shoulder rolls. Uh, you can carry them like a rickshaw. You could do it for, um, you could work up to uh, a max exertion to where you start from point A to point B with as much weight as you can. Um, yeah, they're a huge part, especially for MMA and track and field. Like they play a huge part into it. I know a lot of uh, strongmen do heavy um, wheelbarrow walks and yoke walks. Uh, yeah, I mean, you put them in, we rotate them in, rotate them out. They're not there all the time, but we do get a lot of carryover, especially for conditioning. Yeah, I love it for shrugs, like you were saying. Yeah. I, I think it's way better for me than a regular uh, deadlift bar or something. Yeah. And for grip, we've had people uh, wrap... Uh, tear sleeves off jiu-jitsu geese, put them around the handles. So you're holding that and the, it's moving too as you're walking. So there's a lot of stuff you can do. Your imagination will the only one that can limit you with that. Well, that's our questions that we picked out for this week. So uh, find us on social media, however you find us, whether it's YouTube, Instagram, we're on Twitter, uh, Facebook, if you still use that. 
You guys can uh, send messages to us and ask any questions about the conjugate uh, system. Ask any West Side questions that you may have. Perfect. Oprah, thanks for coming in. Yeah, man. Appreciate I'm so it. glad to be a part of it. And, you know, we're going to be doing these more on a regular basis. So uh, look forward to interacting with everyone. Awesome. 